we run from from just being alone with our story, and that's that's the hardest thing. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Man Talks podcast. My name is Roger Nairn. I'm the director of marketing for Man Talks, and I'm Connor Beaton, the founder. Welcome back to another episode. Uh, this week we have a very very special guest. His name is Xander Robertson. Xander is a uh, a writing coach and is also a ghostwriter himself. And today we're going to talk a lot about uncovering your story and the importance of having that story put out into the world. Connor, maybe you could touch a little more on what the conversation was about today. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you know, whether or not you're wanting to write a book or start a blog or, you know, even if you're just trying to understand your personal story better for, you know, your work or your business or even with your relationships, this is a great, great podcast for that. Xander dives into some, you know, golden nuggets on how to formulate your story, how to understand it and how to understand how it can add value to other people's lives. So it's a really, really informative podcast in understanding your personal journey and yeah just tons and tons of nuggets but before we dive in we just wanted to quickly touch on the fact that we we really appreciate you guys listening we are we're having a lot of fun doing these you know they, they take a lot of work to do but it's almost like it's no work at all it's it's so much fun to get a chance to talk to these amazing individuals and then it's amazing to hear your feedback and on that note if you're enjoying yourself please go to itunes and leave us a review it, it goes a long way to help the podcast climb the charts on itunes which means that it gets into more hands of of the men out there just take two minutes and, and go to iTunes and leave us a review. And definitely let us know who you want us to interview. That's a huge thing. We're looking for people to interview from around North America, and we've reached out to some pretty incredible people. So no name is too big. If you want to hear somebody on this podcast, leave us a review and let us know who you want us to feature, and we will find them. We will find them. All right, let's bring on Xander Robertson. Hey, Xander, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Good to be here. Thanks, guys. So before we get started, we always like to ask our guests, you know, to give to give our uh, listeners some context. You know, sort of, what do you do, and and how did you get into that? Yeah, that's a good question. It's actually, um, I think, really related to what you guys do with Man Talks, and I think it's why it's a, you know, I'm really happy to be on this show and be telling my story because what I do is I'm a writer. I'm a full time. I've been a ghostwriter for the past five years. The way I got into it was, I guess, not a traditional path. I didn't, I didn't have, I mean, I studied philosophy in university, but um, it wasn't like um, I knew I was going to be a writer all, the, all my life. And one of your previous guests on your podcast, Philip McKernan, as you guys know, he's a very you know, great coach, great at asking people probing questions and getting them to think. And I had joined one of his programs. I was looking for entrepreneurial advice and help because I was in real estate and I was just chasing, chasing the dollars, you know, that whole cliche story. And Philip broke me down, made me cry and asked me what the hell I really wanted to do with my life. And that's, that's kind of what got me started. And it's just been a long path you know, over the last five years, just diving deeper into uh, my writing and getting better at it. Obviously, when I first started, I, I had a basis, but I, I had a lot to learn and I still do. But and so that's been my path. And so I'm a full time writer for the most part and um, writer, write, do ghostwriting and coaching. I coach uh, new writers to get their own book and blog projects off the ground as well. 
So, so we, you know, we hear that, that term ghostwriter a lot and, and I'm not yeah. sure. It means I'm a ghost. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Crap. It means I write about ghosts. Is that why I've never seen you before? Hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a term that you hear a lot, but I, you know, let's just maybe define it and, and kind of break it down a little bit for listeners. Kind of what exactly is a ghostwriter and what is the relationship, you know, with the author look like? Yeah, there's different ways to do it. So, I mean, there's, there are ghostwriting contracts where literally, you know, someone will find you online or however they find you and then they'll give you a contract and it's just write me a book about X. And you research it, you do it, the entire thing. This is the writer now. The writer researches it, does the entire thing, produces a book and Joe Blow puts their name on it, right? You know, that's very common amongst sort of Wall Street type insiders and that. And uh, they just want to have, you know, a well-written book and have their name on it. It's just kind of for show. I've never done one like that. I wouldn't want to do one like that. For me, it's very, my, my whole gift and my, what I love about it is being able to help the author express their voice and their, and really as close to their own voice as possible. These people that I work with are a lot of times just for numerous reasons, can't or don't want to write their own book, but they want the book to be in their own voice. They want to be personal. So I spend uh, so this is the, I guess, the second of the types is interviewing the author extensively, learning their whole story, learning what they're, because typically, I mean, I always write nonfiction. So what they're trying to teach, getting a knowledge of that and then um, expressing it in their voice. So those are the two main, I, I suppose there's any different level of uh, involvement on the author's and you know, in between those two or perhaps further to the one side or further to the other, but those are the two main ways. And I always, uh, my, my method is to, um, to speak with the author and get, uh, and interview them extensively. Very cool. And what, what are some of the major blocks that you find that people have? Cause like the funny thing is that we're just talking about people's story, right? Like we're talking about yeah. people's journey or timeline. Like we're just talking about their lives, right? So yeah. uh, it's, it's one of those funny, almost like catch 22s where a lot of people, um, seem to really struggle with, I know I have a message and I know I have a story and it's kind of like buried in there, like buried in there somewhere. And, and what, what are some of like the biggest challenges that you see that people face when it comes to unearthing their message? That's a good question. A lot of people have fear of exposing themselves. And what, like, what I always say is what you've overcome is your gift to the world. But the tricky part is that what you've overcome is often what we want to keep buried below the surface. We don't really want people to know where we've come from. And what you find with people who get over that and who move beyond the fear of that is that then they really move into a space of power. They start, uh, not power like Hitler, power in a good way, being able to <laughs> affect. That's a good, that's a good, uh, yeah. that's a good definition. Good, good catch. Yeah. Phew, that was close. But like, uh, like He-Man power, but, uh, like, but, like He-Man power. Right. All jokes aside, um, you know, owning your story. It's too massive. early for Hitler. <laughs> yeah, you guys are crazy with the early morning stories. Yeah. No, owning your story is massive. It's it's absolutely huge. And I, I can't say that there's a, a formula to it. It just takes practice and um obviously continuing to get to get clear on what that story is and then and seeing then seeing the connection to how that story has informed you. So like a great example is Connor. I don't know like a ton about Connor, but I know a decent amount. And I know I know where you grew up, what you kind of went through, and then how you transferred into singing opera and like that whole, you know, people questioning your sexuality, stuff like that, just because you're in opera. So it's like that helps you gain an awakening to the fact that masculinity and, and being a man is, 
is in this weird state. And, uh, and so I just think, you know, your story is a great example of, of uh, someone whose story uh, has led them to down their path. And so if people don't know that, they're going to have a hard time connecting with you. So it's hugely important. Mm, yeah, very cool. Very cool. And so, you know, when you're, when you're working with these people, because I'm sure that some of our listeners out there are like, oh, I have a great story. I have a great message. This really resonates with me. Um, they're probably wondering, what are a couple of questions that I could ask myself to help sort of unearth that message? Yeah, that's a good point. It's a matter of, you know, really getting, like I said before, getting in touch with your story. So the first thing people need to really do, and this is something I struggle with, is be comfortable with being alone. Like just be with yourself alone and maybe a piece of paper and maybe close down those 75 apps that are open on your phone and the 15 windows that are open on your computer and maybe shut down notifications and, and just give yourself space. Connor's laughing at my computer screen right now because there's <laughs> probably 20 pages that are open. Honestly, we, we run from, from just being alone with our story. And that's, that's the hardest thing is that you can't really get in touch with it until you're alone with yourself and, and let it come out. But as far as questions, this is probably going to sound overly simple, but go back to that structure for a story you learned. I mean, there's, there's numerous ways to study story. My favorite teacher is Robert McKee. He's famous for um, teaching a lot of Hollywood screenwriters. And I, I took his seminar down in LA and it's, it's unbelievable how he breaks down story and how he's, he's just a master of it. But I do urge people to dive into that level if they want to get to know their story or perhaps Joseph Campbell or learn stuff about the hero's journey. But from a very simplistic point, if you just want to get started, go back to that high school or even junior high English class method of beginning, middle, and end. So recognize, too, that there's, you know, stories are looping over themselves in your life at all times, and you're probably just starting one, and you're probably wrapping another one up. But go back to where you started, like who you were at the beginning. Um, and so in my case, I'm, I'm a farm boy, grew up in northern Alberta, you know, grew up playing hockey, and everyone I knew was a farmer or worked in the oil patch. Obviously, that had a big impact in who I was and how I grew up. And ultimately, I, I, won't, I won't share the entire thing right now, but ultimately, I ended up doing what I'm doing. But there's a connection between the fact that I didn't realize I could be a writer and the fact of my beginnings, right? So get to know your beginning and get to know the middle, the middle parts where the struggle happens, where all the conflict happens kind of look at the big the big turns so ask yourself what are the big turning points in my life focus on those don't you know elmore leonard who wrote uh, get shorty and a million other really great books famously said uh, story is just like real life with the boring parts left out <laughs> so in, in in terms of the middle and the conflict definitely focus on the big turns and just look at them and see what they what they were what happened and what they meant to you you'll you'll have these moments that stand out everyone does Ask, I mean, for me, a great one is what I just explained at the beginning about how, you know, Philip, I, I said that jokingly, but it's true. Philip did break me down, make me cry. And I was standing in front of uh, eight other entrepreneurs crying. And <laughs> trust me when I say that's not something I like to do. <laughs> it's, uh, it's tough to be vulnerable. And, but that was a turning point. That was a, a moment I'll ever forget because he, he forced me to look at the truth. And the truth was that I was not on the right path professionally. And it was time to actually do what I really dreamed of and what I wanted most. So that was uh, one of the major turning points for me. And, you know, everyone has those. So ask yourself about those. And then look for, you know, the third part, the resolution. 
So what did it lead you to do? And I think that's one of the bigger problems that people have that, uh, when they come to me wanting to write books is that they're not quite at a resolution yet and they want to write a book. Mm. Maybe it's better at that point to focus on a blog or something smaller. Mm. As you know, for a blog, you don't necessarily have to. You can tell micro stories, right? Unless you have, especially for nonfiction. I mean, most of what I say is, is speaking about nonfiction because that's what I write. But if you're going to be giving people a message and you want them to, to change their behavior somehow or, or just affect change in the world, you kind of have to have a solution. So what did, of, of what you went through in your life, that, those early beginnings and all, those, uh, and all the things in the middle, what did it lead to? What did you create? So again, going back to Connor, he created Man Talks and he's kind of you know, got a, a full story there that could be told. So those would be the three I'd focus on, beginning, middle, and end. Very cool. Very cool. There's a couple. Of, I mean, a couple of things that I, I I plucked out of there pieces of gold. You know, one of them you mentioned that you know these stories have a tendency to intertwine amongst one another. You know, I think it's an interesting concept and, and something people need to realize is that you don't just have one story; you have multiple stories. Yes. You know, you have your you have your your job story, you have your family story, you have your your personal story, relationships. Um, yeah, and and yeah. so I guess my question to you is, how do you break each of those down or, or do they all kind of mash in together? You're right. There's different loops. There's different stories that we all have. And, and one of the biggest problems I think most of us face, so I can speak from personal experience, is that we, we forget that and we think we just have one story. So let's say you're not successful in one part of your life, right? Then you start, you start internalizing that story. And that really is what humans do is we, we look, the, our reality is made up of the stories we tell ourselves and that we've heard and that we've internalized. And so like, uh, let's say you're struggling with business. Okay. So like, or, or a job, you're, you're not where you want to be, but yet you have a really happy family and you're healthy and, uh, you got great friendships. If you're not careful, the one story about, about not doing well with your job can cross over and in fact, I would suggest that it definitely will cross over at some point and it'll start to affect the rest of your life. So I think just huge awareness of the different ones and, and, and make, that, make that change go in the other direction. So look at the positive st stories and um, let them cross into the, the part where you maybe need a little help and say, hey, I'm not, you know, I'm not a failure at this or that. I can do this. It's just I've had the wrong information in this side or whatever it may be, but definitely having one like think or thinking you just have one set stock story is a major problem for, I know it has been for me and it has been, I know it is for a lot of people. It's, it's, it's our ability to edit those stories, which changes our reality and uh, lets us take new action in the world and actually grow forward. Yeah. Very cool. And uh, I think, you know, some of these, I kind of wanted to back it up and just touch on something that you mentioned around, you know, what, what we ask ourselves and, and how to kind of like cultivate that story. Cause I've, I've done a lot of work in this area to try and like, as I do more and more public speaking, I've had to try and uncover some of those stories. So it's been a very interesting process. Yep. And <laughs> yeah. And you know, what I've found is a, it's powerful because you're reflecting on what actually happened in that experience, right? And what actually, it's a form of reflection. 
And so a couple of questions that I've always asked myself are what are, you know, if it's, if I'm looking back on the year, what were the defining moments of my past year or what have been my defining moments for my life? And so you talked about that moment with Philip where, you know, you, you, he broke you down and, and you realized that you weren't on the career path that you wanted. And that's a, that's a huge defining moment. And out of that, that's a catalyst. And, and maybe, you know, it's taken five years or, you know, however long to get you to where you are. But at the same time, that defining moment was a huge, you know, crux to your to your personal story. So that's that's a that's a that's a big question for me always is about defining moments. And then, you know, secondly, are what are what are some of the core lessons that I've learned? Uh, I think that that's another huge piece because. You know what? When you're going to be writing a story, inevitably, especially when it's nonfiction, you want to be teaching something, right? Yes. And there needs to be something that people are going to be taking away and learning from your personal story. And the biggest part of that that I found, whenever I read a, a great book, there's there's always those lessons. And so you need to know. And when I say you, not not you, but like we as as an audience and as the you know the listeners that are out there, we need to know what are those lessons that we've learned, those fundamentals that we can then tell tell our story around, and have that lesson embedded into it. I just I just read a. I'm not fully done yet, but I'm kind of like halfway through this book called The Truth uh, by Neil mm-hmm. Strauss. Yeah, and, um, I read that. Yeah, it's uh, it's a pretty writer. it's a pretty intense it's a pretty intense book. It's about his you know process with sex addiction, and you know he checks himself into rehab, and it's interesting because in AA, one of the processes that people go through, whether it's you know drug addiction or sexual addiction or you know what, whatever alcohol, whatever it is, they get one of the exercises that they have to do is called the timeline. And basically what they have to do is have a chronological recall of their of their life and those main moments that shifted their life and impacted them and led them on the path that they're on. And it's such a powerful exercise. And it's funny, when I heard that, I kind of laughed because it's what I ask our speakers to do, where when I interview them, I say, tell me, tell me your timeline. Like what, what, tell me about your life chronologically and and those defining moments. And, you know, sitting down, whether you want to write a book or a blog post or whether you just want to explore, I think sitting down and doing your timeline can be so, so powerful. Absolutely. It's all about the big, like you said, the big events, the big turns. It's easy to get in a stasis and to not realize that change is possible. I mean, uh, I, I think of that moment that when I you know broke down and cried all that, it, it's unbelievable to me how it shifted my life. And it was it was one moment. And I, when I walked in that room, I tell you, I did not expect that. I really didn't. I was expecting, you know, I'd seen Philip speak and I knew he was different and stuff, but I still thought, okay, like I'll, I'll get better at what I'm already doing rather than completely shifting. And through that process and seeing that major shift made me go, oh my God, there's been other moments like that in my life too. Unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, I'm not sure, a lot of them happen before we're really consciously aware of what a life story and what a life timeline really is. Very cool. And just, I have a quick question on that because, you know, we talk to a lot of guests that have those sort of big shifts in their life. And I was kind of curious about your personal journey, like, you know, after that conversation with Philip and that realization that you weren't doing what you were doing, did things change immediately the next day or was it a process? 
Oh, it was definitely a process. I mean, it took more courage than I thought I had because I didn't realize the depths at which I had buried this dream. I mean, I'm talking like I had not even voiced it. When I said it in that room, it was like the first time I'd voiced it, I think, in probably 10 years. And uh, previously when I did voice it, it was just like I think I mentioned it to my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, and that was it. Um, so, I mean, this, this was something that was extremely buried and it, it, would, it would, would continue to take me a lot of courage to do it and still does. But the process was it wasn't like I walked out of the room and, uh, you know, there was paparazzi and they were, you know, all of a sudden I was this famous writer, obviously. Um, do paparazzi follow writers? No, they don't. Not at all. They, <laughs> writers so, you, are so you're not in it for the spotlight. Right. They don't yet. Wearing, no, no, not, well, some maybe, but not definitely not me. J.K. Rowling. Uh, yeah, they would follow her. Absolutely. She's a superstar. I love her. No, I, what I did is I started taking small steps. So to make it real in the world, you know, you it's one thing to have this big moment of realization. But if you don't take action right away, I mean, that the dream's going to die again. Um, so I just started taking small steps. I literally started journaling and uh, realizing that this was a process that made me feel whole. Just writing was just an important part of me and who I am. And then I expanded to a blog that was, you know, that was within a few months. And then, but then within like less than a year, I had, well, the way, you know, the way it turned out was, was great. And it's one of those awesome moments where you're like, wow, the universe is aligned and all that stuff. One of the guys who was in the room there with me that day, uh, is a real estate expert. He had about a few months after that, he landed a contract to write a, a book for Wiley uh, with Wiley, the publishing company. The process of me, I guess, being vulnerable and the fact that we had a high level of trust because of that, because we'd shared those kind of moments. I mean, he had shared a lot with, with the room as well. And he just trusted me and he asked me to write his book. And that was, that was my first professional gig. So I ghost, I ghost wrote his book and that's how it started. And from then on, let me think. Uh, I did. I continued to work in real estate and write on the side for two years, and then after two years, I quit real estate and I started writing full time. So, yeah, it's been a progression, and um, you know, I still do ghostwriting, but obviously now I'm expanding into coaching and other things. So, it's a continued progression. It's, it was never like a light switch just turned on. Awesome. You, you know, we talk about the story structure of beginning, mi middle and end. And I, I just wanted to touch quickly on on the end portion of it. So I think and stop me, stop me if I'm wrong here. But the end in your beginning, middle and end has a has a public facing entity to it. And, and you want to have, a, a, you know, an, an end to your story or sort of a, a wrap up to your story. Kind of how does you know, how does this all fit together? But as an individual, do we want that to have an end or, you know, do we need to have a resolution to it or do we need to look at it as kind of how do I want my story to end and keep it open? I think both can work. I mean, you obviously don't want to feel like you're, if your story's over, your life is over, but there might be something you want to close a chapter on. I mean, you don't necessarily want certain things. Um, but I think that's to, it, it's an interesting point of, of separation is, you know, there can be closed chapters to some of these stories as you move yeah. on to other phases in your life. Yeah. I mean, some of the, I don't know, I want to say worst things, but let's just go ahead and say it. Some of the worst things that I've lived through and happened in my life were probably sometimes due to not closing chapters that should have been closed. I mean, that's a psychologically very important thing. And then when it comes to you know, writing a book, you obviously, if it's nonfiction, you're, you're, you want the, re the reader to be telling themselves a story. 
okay, they're reading your story, but they're not really there for them for you. They're there for themselves. So they you can they can connect with your story to obviously to learn and whatnot, but they're wanting to learn what your resolution is, like what you got out of that and what you learned. And here's the new thing that you now have to go and take this valuable piece of wisdom, this idea. So for you as the writer or the storyteller, it's a resolution to some certain thing, not your whole life, but it's a resolution to some path. And then that person can go take that wisdom and use it. A friend of mine named Giovanni, he owns, he uh, has a, a group called the Archangel Academy and uh, it's really cool, a uh, bunch of entrepreneurs helping each other and giving back to, uh, you know, to help other people. And uh, Giovanni's a very smart guy. And one of, the, one of the things he said to me that was a big eye-opener, he said, you remember that game, uh, Super Mario, obviously, we all do for 80s or 90s children, right? And uh, we, we all think like in, in the entrepreneurial space or like the thought leader space or uh, you know, any, any space where you're trying to help other people, we all think of ourselves as the Mario. We're the hero, right, of the story. But the reality is we're the mushroom. And this is coming from Giovanni, and he's, he's got these great analogies. Um, we're the mushroom because the mushroom just helps the hero. So you want the reader to be the hero. And I know that's probably going to sound a little bit contradictory from what I was saying before, you have to use your story in your book or in what you're writing or what you're telling, but that's not the end goal. The end goal is to get the listener to be in their own creative space around their story. And they're like just looking for that mushroom that's going to make them grow two sizes and go kick some ass. And I think that's why people listen to man talks or other you know, spaces like this that are dedicated to helping people. They want, they're looking for the mushroom. I mean, they, they like to hear your hero story, and that's totally cool. They'll resonate with it, but they ultimately want the mushroom. Absolutely. Very cool. That. That's a, yeah, it's such a paradigm shift. And I mean, it's such a great distinction that the, you know, the book is about the reader and, and not just a, you know, the, yeah. author's, the author's story. Because I think so, so often people try and tell their stories for their own personal, yes, almost like therapy, you know? Yeah. And, and if you're, you know, if you're one of those people that's like, oh, I want to go and tell my story, maybe the question to ask is, why do you want to tell your story? You know, is it just because you, you, it's still weighing on you and you haven't worked through it and, and you need to go and tell it out of necessity? Or are you actually wanting to have impact in people's lives? And I think that that's a, that's a huge, huge distinction for so many people that might be feeling stuck, you know, in that story or, you know, trying to tell their story when they've, you know, just come off of the, the climax or like the, you know, one of the major defining moments in their story. And then without, you know, giving it proper time to, to process and settle and find a resolution, they're trying to go out there and, and tell it immediately and, and get it out in the world when it's, it's still pretty raw. So I think that's a, yeah. a good distinction. It- it's a trick. It's a tricky one because you you need to. I mean, we started this conversation by talking about how you need to involve and, and and use your story in in your message. I mean, any anyone, any great entrepreneur or or anyone who's like affecting change in the world uses story. I, I don't think I can think of a single person who's really affected me who doesn't use story in some way. But they're not like you just said. They're not telling it for their own sake, and they're not telling it just for that sake of of self-gratification or even just for the sake of the story they're telling it because it moves forward the mission of the of the people listening so so, yeah i mean we hear this this you know this this whole term of like personal brand and and you know 
obviously story can fold into that. It, it, are they one and the same, or, or do you need to have a, a well-defined story in order to develop this personal brand? Yeah. Or, 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 or is it all bullshit? <laughs> I, well, I'm not a personal branding expert, so I don't want to comment on, on, how, on that, but I, I definitely a story has, will have something to do with your – I mean if, you, if we take what – just take it back to the basics and, and if we look at a brand objectively, what is it? Okay, it's how others kind of know us, right? And I mean, yeah, I would say a, I would say a story is very important to that, but I mean, I don't know. I think of brands that aren't personal like corporate brands. And like Nike, I don't know anything about Nike's story. They make shoes. So I don't know. I guess when it comes into the personal brand space, story is probably more important. But um, I, I think that I, I guess I don't spend much time in that in looking at that personal brand idea. But I think that to be yourself and to be authentic and to be to really affect change that I think story is absolutely vital for that. And I suppose if you're, if you're being authentic and you're being yourself, then you're going to have a personal brand. Oh, totally. So, yeah. good, good answer. That was a test. On things that I don't really know that much about. No, I, no, I no, no, totally. Story and I know, but I mean, I know there are probably personal branding experts out there who will tell you that story is one component of it, but there's probably other, other pieces. Yeah. Can you comment on the new, uh, environmental, uh, uh never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Something completely probably... off topic. Yeah, um, you just talked about uh, um, sort of success in in what you do and, and trying to to reach the reader and make them the hero. Is that how you define success in in what you do and as as a coach and as a as a ghostwriter? Or how would you define? How do you know you're doing a good job, and and are successful in in your uh, your day to day? Yeah, the thing is when people are trying to write a book or even a blog or any anything they write or any story they're they're telling. They have goals. There's always there's always goals, and you know the, one of the biggest mistakes people make is not knowing their goals going into the project. That'll affect the way you write it or t- tell the story. Uh, you know, no matter yeah, it'll always affect the way you approach it. Is depending on what your goal is. So sometimes people's goals are to increase uh, to sell a million books. Right? They want to be a bestseller. Well, that's going to be a certain type of book. You're not going to write a book about winter gardening in northern Saskatchewan if you want to if you want to sell a million copies, right? <laughs> winter gardening. Uh, or yes. your or your my mother-in-law. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, and another another one is uh, that I hear often is people want to drive sales to their higher price point items. So you're selling something that's worth five or six thousand dollars. You know, it's reasonable that people would want to get to know you and what you're doing really well to do to to make that decision. So then your goal would be to write and tell the story of your product very well, not necessarily even directly, but you want to tell that story. Another major goal is that people have is to change people, to change the world. And I think that's the most noble one. But all of those goals, every single one of them requires someone to take action and someone other than you it has to be a reader uh, if your you know if your goal is to change people then they have to change if they haven't then your goal wasn't met so um that's how yeah that's how i define success if whatever your goal is if that happens if if people have taken that action then um then you're successful and you know a lot of times the the funny thing is some of the biggest successes that i've seen on books weren't necessarily like bestsellers. They didn't sell like a million copies. Maybe they only sold a thousand, but X hundred of those people did something really significant. And that's, you know, there's a whole, there's 
it's not just one. There's several industries around get a bestseller, and it's really sad because it's just uh, it's just surface level bullshit. You can hire these done for you services where you know they essentially template your book, they template your design, they template the whole entire process, and then at midnight, all the people in the course sit around on Amazon and download your book for free. So now you're a bestseller. And so you can tell people you're a bestseller. And this is rampant. And honestly, I, if I could give anyone advice, is do not do that. Don't waste your time on that shit. It's not about, um, you know, of course it looks good to have a bestseller. And that can be defined a million different ways, by the way. A traditional New York Times bestseller is a lot different than hitting some sub-sub category on Amazon for an hour. But I, I don't think that a bestseller should ever be the goal. I mean, I think the goal is is, is to really affect people and change them and, um, that's when I would consider it success. Very cool. And I, I think the other distinction, at, at least in my personal experience, is to recognize that your story and and what your goal might be might change. Like I, for example, I wrote something about a year and a half ago, like I wrote about 120 pages or whatever. And I was like, I'm going to write a book and it's going to be for guys and it's going to be tailored towards this. And I wrote it in a very specific way with a, you know, a pretty heavy uh, aspect around the Tao Te Ching because at the time I was fully immersed in that and I revisited it not too long ago and you were actually part of that process and I was like oh this totally is not in line with what I want to do <laughs> right and yeah. so and so being cognizant that your your messaging and your the outcome that you want to achieve is going to evolve over time and and where where you might be at right now you know getting started on it and writing it um, is a really good really good idea and definitely having somebody that's going to partner with you, help you set those goals, and help you set very clear outcomes, I think is is hugely, hugely important. So, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, and and that's that's true. Goals do change, and but I think what's interesting about that, what you just the story you just told about, you know, what you had written, it's not like there's not uh, good content in there that you would like to use at some point. I mean, a lot of it probably does represent you, but the overall message was, isn't a fit anymore, but you sometimes don't know until you dive in. And, you know, that's obviously really cool that you dove in, but maybe the resolution wasn't quite there. Right. And maybe that's why that project wasn't quite ready to come out. And, and again, maybe you didn't set, I don't know exactly what you did at the beginning, but maybe you didn't set your goals very clearly. And, um, oh, I, de- I definitely didn't even have a goal. I was just like, I want to write something. And yeah. I created a rough outline and I had never written a book and I'd never had a blog or anything like that. But I was like, yeah. fuck this. I'm going to write, I'm going to write a book. I'm just going to do it. And then, <laughs> yeah. and then over the course of like, you know, three to three to five months, I banged out like a hundred and whatever pages. And I was yeah. like, yes, I have a book. And it's, and I know that it's not coherent <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I know nothing about writing a book, but it was just that act where the act of, like you said, diving in, I think diving into the pool, like if you want to learn how to swim, you know, put, put on the uh, water wings and, and get yeah. in the freaking pool. So like so many people just stand there looking at it, be like, okay, I'm going to visualize myself swimming and yeah. I'm going to visualize this. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and then they never actually learn how to swim because they've just stood there looking at the water for so long. Um, yeah. and yeah, I mean, you know, if I, when I want to revisit that, I have something solid. Why haven't adult water wings become a thing? I mean, maybe with the resurgence of adult coloring, we'll have adult water wings. <laughs> True. <laughs> and, True. And training wheels. Does that mean we can have adult peeing in the pool? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Wait. I think that's that, actually probably still happening. Yeah, that's probably a thing. That's probably a thing. <laughs> By the way, Connor and I are obsessed with adult coloring right now. Yeah. Are you? Yeah. 
our uh, we're getting our wives night. together and we're having a, a, a coloring coloring night with wine. <laughs> nice. Yeah, we'll see where it goes. He's not joking. <laughs> um, no, I'm, I, I see it all over my Facebook feed. People are coloring like crazy these days. It's the thing to do. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Zander, you know, coming up through your career, did you have some role models that you know that you had that mentored you, and what sort of what sort of role did they have in your success? Absolutely. I mean, I don't even know if it's possible to grow without mentors. I mean, if you look at uh, you know Joseph Campbell, who's obviously a very famous name in mythology and story, you know, the, one of the key characters in every mythological story. Yeah, I wonder if you can kind of break down a l- yeah. little bit more on on him because I, you know, you hear yeah. his name a lot, and and yeah. uh, I, I know some of our listeners are probably familiar with him, but probably a lot of them aren't. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I love Joseph Campbell. I mean, I think he put a framework around this universal story structure that we're all kind of, it's almost like, I think it's learned, but maybe it's just innate, where he showed us that uh, all throughout history, basically, the stories of every culture are very resonant with each other. Uh, the, there's a there's a hero who's living in a normal space. Uh, normal world where it's like their you know their their static situation. Um, something happens, whether it's by their own volition or just by chance, uh, that drags them into an adventure. And I mean, the greatest, I think the easiest example to share with people to to explain what the hero's journey is is Star Wars, because everyone knows it. So you got Luke Skywalker sitting out there in his lame ass planet. Just wants to go. What does he say? Shoot swamp rats with his yeah. friends or something like that. And uh, you know, he dreams of this great adventure, but you know, he thinks he's stuck on this planet forever. Along comes this mentor, right, Obi Wan Kenobi, and um, opens his eyes to this truth. Essentially, the the Force is a truth, right? And every every hero's journey, Joseph Campbell would say, is is about ultimately that is about finding a truth. But still, he you know he he doesn't go into the adventure. He's still like, no, I can't. Eh. You know how he's so whiny in that first one? It's hilarious. Yeah. Um, he's like, <laughs> I can't go on the adventure. My you know my uncle needs me to to farm to farm with him and all that. But then he goes home, and his uncle and his aunt and everything he knows is dead and destroyed. And so he's forced to go on the adventure. So that's the call to adventure. And that's when you know if we're going back to that beginning, middle, end structure, that is when it goes into the middle that's when all the conflicts start that's when all the journey the adventures arise and um the mentor is always a huge huge part of that um ultimately uh through all that climax through all that hard work whatever you know ups and downs because you'll have victories and 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 little miniature defeats in there ultimately uh the hero comes to some kind of uh, solution so it's obviously in in movies, in fiction, in you know big, big, big productions and whatnot, it's, it's almost always some kind of a fight scene or, uh, well, action movies I should say rather. It's different in each in each type of genre, but there's some kind of resolution. So in a love movie, the guy gets the girl, or the girl gets the guy, whatever it is, um, and then that sort of that action sets the world right in some way. So on a big grand scale or on a cultural scale, it sets the you know it sets the community right or it sets the nation right or whatever whatever that group of people is. Um, but in our own lives, it just kind of sets our own lives um, in the, it sets our own lives. Right. And then we, we have something to bring back and give back to the world. So that's called the return in Joseph Campbell. Um, so all that pain, suffering and struggle that you've gone through, 
uh, or that that anyone's going through and they're having when they're living a story uh there's a reason for it and you if you can bring that back to the world quote unquote whatever whatever the world is for you then then it's worthwhile and and that's the basic structure of it but um to answer the question about mentors yeah i've had i've had several and philip's one that's a great example um, as far as writing, uh, a friend of mine, Julie Broad, she's a huge mentor. She's a very successful uh, entrepreneur and writer, and um, she's helped me with my writing a ton. And um, other than that, I, I be- I'm a big believer in virtual mentors. So um, I read a ton, and I listen to great podcasts, and I listen to audiobooks, and I'm, I'm always looking for virtual mentors. Um, and I, I use them, and I, I really try and make the knowledge I gain from them uh, I, I try to, you know, make it real in the world. I try to use it. Awesome. So, on that virtual mentor note, what can you give us, like a book or two that's that's changed your life? I'd love to hear some blogs as well. Yeah, um, the book that I most commonly recommend to people, and this is probably just because of the space that I'm in, it's a book called The War of Art, and you guys have probably oh, heard about Stephen that. Breastfield. Yes. Have you read that, Connor? Yeah, I haven't. Uh, I actually have the audiobook, but I haven't listened to it yet. And Stephen, if you're out there, you will be on our show one day. Yes, he will. And his editor is really, really great as well, Sean Coyne. He's a great story, super like story nerd. He knows story like crazy. Very cool. He, um, uh, for those that don't know, Stephen Breastfield wrote the, the book uh, Legend of Bagger Vance, yep. um, but, but has recently kind of gone into the field of you know, creativity and the creative process and really um, trying to yeah. uh, uh, share with the world, you know, the, the creative struggle and how to overcome it. But yeah, maybe I'll I let you he, tell it. Maybe well, I'll let I, you I tell it. He, yeah, no, just, I think he, he still writes a, like a fiction book every year. And his main genre, The Legend of Bagger Vance is probably the, because of the movie The Most Famous. But um, he wrote um, Gates of Fire. Which which is first major bestseller, and that's a novel. I don't think it's ever been made into a movie, but it's the story of the Battle of Thermopylae. So you know the movie Three Hundred. It it tells that story, and apparently I still haven't read it. I'm dying to read it. Apparently it's just amazing, and so he's like really big on the kind of the war uh, metaphors, and uh, hence the War of Art. And the War of Art, actually, a friend of mine who I I believe you guys may know, uh, his name is Drew Betts, and he's a music producer and uh music teacher and uh actually well drew was in the room that day that i the story i told about uh you know being broken down crying everything he was in the room that day he's a really good friend a really cool guy and he was him and i were talking one day and he was telling the story about how he managed to get back into music because he had kind of had a similar story where he'd kind of forsaken his passion and uh and he said, this book was an absolute game changer for me. And I, I went and I bought it immediately and I read it. And uh, it, it, it just, it got my, it got me writing. It got me going. It got me moving. It's, he talks about the central concept of the book is, uh, he calls it um, resistance. Mm. And resistance is just that feeling we have to do that thing that we know we need to do and we want to do, but it's difficult. And so he his the point Pressfield makes is like, you never feel resistance to lay on the couch, eat Doritos and watch TV. <laughs> you never feel resistance to not make that phone call to that person who can help you move forward. You never feel resistance to not write your book. It's 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 only for the difficult things that you feel resistance. And his point is like, it never goes away. I mean, by the time he had written 
the War of Art. He had, you know, he had published several bestsellers and and Pressfield, and this is a great, probably, in fact, if you want to read a book that is a perfect example of using your own personal story, but writing for the audience, so that the audience, so that the reader can can tell themselves their own story, I would say read that book, because he tells his story, and it's it's pretty outstanding. I mean, he was, he was, uh, by the time he was 40, he was still like a he was like picking fruit and driving taxi and he was just, he said resistance was just so unbelievably strong. He just kept avoiding what he always knew his task was. And finally, just kind of by the scruff of his own neck, he drug himself to finish his first book. And, um, and he just tell, I could go on about this book forever. He, he tells stories like he was 40 some years old. He was in this Hollywood producer's office and the guy's taking phone calls and all of a sudden, he takes one phone call and he goes, uh, "Sorry, can you wait outside? I, I need to. I need you to wait outside for this one because he was taking phone calls with him in the room." He goes outside. He waits there for like forty-five minutes, and this big, this big film producer guy, because he's writing screenplays, by the way, I missed that point. Um, this big film producer guy comes walking out and goes, "Oh, you're still here? Sorry." And he's like, "It's like the most embarrassing moment of his life. This is what everything he's put his life towards." And he, uh, you know, he just, he struggled. Like it was freaking hard. Right. And he tells all those kind of stories and how he ultimately just stuck to it and battled resistance. And ultimately he got better. And cause that's, you know, a big part of it is getting better and he got better. And ultimately he, you know, won his creative battles and he still, you know, he still is, is, is having those creative, creative battles every day. So yeah, I could go on about books forever, but that is the one I most <laughs> often recommend. To Very cool. I mean, I, I love that idea of, you know, resistance. Like when you, when you feel the resistance in your life to do something, you know, whether it's a tough conversation or creating the painting that you've always wanted to create or uh, writing the book in this case, I think those are the moments that really like, those are some of our, our underlying defining moments that we don't really think about, right? Like we have these big jarring defining moments that, that come in and, you know, shake the shit out of our lives. And then there's these little blips on the radar, Right. And and they're those ones that we just need to lean into. And when we lean into them, they often produce some of the biggest results. Like I had so much resistance about putting on the first man talks, so much <laughs> resistance. I was like, I, bet. I was like, nobody's going to come. Like people are going to think this is stupid. And like there was so much resistance behind it. And it look at you now. And it literally took yeah. three months. It took me three months to organize the first one to just find a couple speakers and a venue and throw it together. Um, you know, because I was like so in resistance to it. And I think coming through that, like when you, when you move through that resistance, it's that idea of, of moving through adversity, right? That's what really strengthens us. You don't get strong by, you know, sitting on the couch and clicking the remote. You get strong through the resistance of lifting weights and, you know, for success, success requires that as well. So I love that idea. So thanks so much for sharing that with us. Um, yeah, it's a huge one, but just, just to get, just to put a little bit of a perspective, three, three months is nothing. I'm talking people. I mean, it's amazing that you went through it that fast. Yeah. What I'm saying, is, what I'm saying is like kudos to you because people are in resistance for years. Yeah. And sometimes they, they die in resistance. They, they never get over it. And that's, that's obviously very sad. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. Um, on the idea of, you know, this is man talks and you know, the, the fact that we, 
we, we talk about dude stuff and we talk about success and, and whatnot. Um, and you're a father and, you know, you've, you've kind of run the gamut of being a good-looking single guy to being married to having kids. And You made it sound as if the good-looking thing ended. Yeah, the good-looking thing ended. You stopped. <laughs> it turned into a complete dog. Yeah, the then you got right. married. You, you got married and you had to stop being attractive yeah. to the rest of humanity. No, right. I'm just kidding. Um, but what, uh, you know, what, what is the, the both sides? What is the biggest challenge that you think men face today? And what's your favorite part of being a guy? Just some light questions. <laughs> yeah, just some simple, no big deal kind of questions. Um, the biggest challenge that men face, is that what the question was? I mean, I, I think it's different for everyone, honestly. Um, men are just, you know, we're just people that have different different challenges for each of us. But I think I can definitely speak to the parenting front. Being a parent is the most challenging thing that I do. Um, and that's probably saying a lot because, you know, there's challenges in everything, but that's kind of why it's so challenging because it's so easy to forget that those little dudes and dudettes in your life are the most important thing that you need to be putting your effort and attention and focus towards. And the easiest thing in the world is to work all day at all these crazy things and writing books and talking to people that are halfway across the world and, you know, kind of getting hung up on big ideas and getting excited by them and sometimes getting, obviously, a lot of the time getting, you know, down by the struggles. And then and you get all in that space and you come home and, and your kids are still there. And they don't need that dad who's uh, a big deal in the world. They don't care if you're a big deal. They don't care if you're not a big deal. They really just accept you for who you are, and that's what they need is, is who you are. Um, so I think a lot of us are, are hung up focused on success, and in the meantime, there's, there's little kids at home that just aren't getting our attention. And, and I'm not a believer that, you know, kids shouldn't have dads. I mean, obviously there's, uh, there's circumstances and then that's just the way it is. But it, to be a present dad, to be present for your kids is just a huge, huge gift. And I'm speaking from both sides because I've been that, I've been the dad who comes home and my head is anywhere but with them. And I've been the dad who's been completely present and you just, you just see them absorbing your presence and, and, and there's no greater gift you can give your kid or, or any kid, like if you're in the mentoring space, like a big brother or anything like that, there's no greater gift you can give them than your attention. And that's probably a cliche, but it's, it's a true cliche. It's just the ultimate thing. So that's probably my biggest challenge. And I would say, you know, I can't speak for any man because not every man is a, is a father, but that's um, the biggest challenge I would say for men who are, are dads for sure. And then what was the second question? <laughs> what's your favorite? It sounds like you, I mean, the second, the second part is what's your favorite part of being a guy. It almost sounds like your favorite part is being a dad, but I, I I'll let you answer it. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I do love it. Uh, I also hate it, right? Like it's, it's the hard, it's the hardest thing to do and it's the best <laughs> thing to do. So favorite part about being a guy. I mean, I think that men just have, I'll, I'll give you. I'll tell you a story to to illustrate, because I'm I'm thinking of like what could be, what could just be for a man. Like what would be what would be you know the best part of being a human versus best part of being a man. So, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, about myself and about ten other friends went on this uh, crazy crazy <laughs> boat trip um, from Deep Cove up to Indian Arm. You guys probably know where that is, right? Yep. 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 Beautiful. 
it's an epic, epic spot. And a friend, a friend's one of the guys that we went with, he has the boat and his friend has a cabin up there. And when I say cabin, like it's a one room little hut. And, you know, out in that country, the, from the water, when you go up the banks, it's like a cliff. It's just sheer. Like there's no, there's no flat land. So this is not like a big open campground or anything like that. This is just this little tiny space on the rain, in the rainforest with this uh, ridiculously beautiful setting. And I went up there with myself and, you know, there's 10 of us all really insanely close friends that, that share, you know, vulnerability on a level that I've never experienced with, with men. And the, the ability of men when they're in that setting to completely let go and absolutely say the most asinine, hilarious shit is pretty outstanding. And so I'm not saying that women can't do that. I don't know. I'm sure they can. But there's a total different energy around a bunch of guys doing something together like that. And I think the reason that moment stuck out so much is because of the rarity of it. And when you hear people, one of the books that I'm reading right now, which is just incredible it's called extreme ownership it's about two na- it's two navy seals write it and they they give leadership lessons but they also tell the stories of being in the seals and ultimately that energy of men working together in groups is is extremely powerful i mean that's why armies exist and not that i'm pro war by any means but teams or armies or you know any kind of group of men that, that's just a special special space and i mean obviously uh, Mantox, great example. I, I was at the event in November and I was sitting with some, I brought a few female friends and their comments were just like, wow, you know, this is, this is cool. This is cool. Men together doing work that uh, you don't necessarily associate with being a man because obviously we have these old school programs about like being a man means never sharing your feelings and blah, 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 blah. But I'm telling you, men can be the most vulnerable people in the world in the right space, and that vulnerability creates ridiculous, ridiculous power. Yeah, magic happens. Mm, yeah, I think so. That, I would say that's everything about being a man. Very cool. It sounds it sounds like the the brotherhood aspect of it, you know, that camaraderie, and then yes. the sort of like honor that kind of comes along with that. I, I feel like I feel like that word has kind of gotten lost somewhere along the way. You know, honor is a is a huge part of it. Mm. So. Xander, before we, uh, you know, we start to wrap yeah. up here, we always like to ask our guests, if you could leave one legacy in the world, what would that be? So I would say that uh, if I could help people change, and I think that's what legacies are about, if I could help people change, it would be uh, around their habits. And obviously that's deeply connected to your story. So for me, um, I've had a lot of, you know, struggle with habits like addictions and, you know, a lot of them that can go a lot of things that I've done in a habitual way unconsciously that have only years later have I realized have had a very negative effect on myself and my people around me. So if I could leave one legacy, it would be helping people to change their habits, the ones that aren't serving them. Awesome. And and before we wrap up, we always like to also ask our guests, what's one thing that you're most excited about these days that you'd like to tell all our listeners about? And then how can they learn more about you? I guess the biggest thing I'm excited about right now is in February, I'm launching a course with a colleague, um, basically training people the whole process about how to write their book all the way through, you know, getting in touch with their story and all the way through the practical aspects 
like getting it designed, getting it published and how to sell it. And really thrilled about that because I know, as we were talking about earlier, some of the misconceptions people have. And I know this is going to open up doors for people. And how they can get a hold of me is by checking out my website, xanderrobertson.com, or email me, info at xanderrobertson.com. I'm old school. I like to email. I do have Facebook. You can obviously hit me up on Facebook, Twitter. There's no problem with that. Go for it. It's easy to find me because there's not many Xander Robertsons. So just any of those ways. And yeah, hit me with any question or anything at all. And I'm happy to talk. Awesome. Uh, definitely for our, the Man Talks listeners out there, go check out XanderRobertson.com and, and hire Xander. I mean, you know, it sounds, it sounds as if he's the guy to, guy to work with if you want to bring your message to the world. Like it says on his website, he'll teach you how to know yourself, uncover your message, and change the world. Xander, thanks so much for joining us today. If people want to learn more about Xander and learn more about Man Talks, then go to Mantalks.com for more podcasts, blog posts, and any videos of our events, which is going to be going live very soon. And please, please, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. And, you know, when you do that, it automatically downloads each new episode to your phone. But most importantly, we'd love it if you could leave us a ratings uh, and, and a review on iTunes. It goes a long way to get the podcast into as many hands as possible. It it shoots us up the charts. A couple more most recent reviews have come from Tim J.P. Collins and RRR Ryan or Ryan T. <laughs> thanks so much to you guys for leaving those reviews. We greatly, greatly appreciate it. And thanks so much for our listeners for listening to the Man Talks podcast. Catch us next week for another inspiring conversation with an inspiring man.